Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, Catherine. Hey. Mondays, am I right? Every day is Monday. They get you... What? But every day is also every other day. Hmm. You know, that's exactly the sort of thing that would usually be indicative of depression when you don't feel that one day is any different from the next. Mm-hmm. Un- unless you're just overjoyed by every single day and their identicality. Well, you know, some days... I have like five cookies, and some days I have between six and ten cookies. Where are you getting all these cookies? I'm making them. Oh. That's how I distinguish Hmm. my days. Did I have a medium amount of cookies today, or a large amount of cookies? Hmm. So, you've brought this up a lot in our conversations. I feel like you've been very interested in this question of depression, and how do you diagnose depression now, and are we all depressed? So obviously there's a thorough clinical workup for whether or not a person qualifies for a, a diagnosis of major depressive mm-hmm. disorder or clinical depression. But then mm-hmm. non-psychiatrists uh, like me would have kind of just a few quicker questions to assess that sort of thing. And that can be done by just asking about, you know, are you getting out? Do you have things to look forward to? Are you feeling, are you feeling depressed? Do you feel hopeless? And if someone's saying, you know, I, I recently stopped leaving my house and I don't talk to anyone and I don't have anything concrete to look forward to, that would definitely raise alarms for me in a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. And now that's pretty much just everyone. So so we're all depressed. <laughs> I mean, it gets a little existential there, but do you define this as a condition relative to other people or is it this organic individual thing wherein yeah we would all suddenly meet a lot of these criteria and i'm wondering how practicing psychiatrists and psychologists are drawing that distinction right now i mean at what point does someone have a diagnosis at what point should people who are at home lonely feeling often hopeless or anxious or depressed in ways they don't normally at what point Mm -hmm. should they seek help I mean, clinical help, not just reaching out to friends and all the other things we've talked about in this show, which are very important. You've been thinking about this a lot. Yeah. And I I mean, obviously, I'm interested, too. I mean, am I depressed right now? Like, yeah, but aren't we all? Well, I don't (laughs) know. What does it matter? You know, like, um, that's kind of my feeling. But you're very interested in this question. So what are the, like, stakes of it to you? Or why do you feel like this needs an answer? I mean, I take it very seriously. And we know that mental health interventions are really effective. And we need to know at what point, you know, is it going to be okay to just tell someone to, you know, call up a friend or to take a walk or to bake some cookies, you know? And at what point do you need to say, this is not, um, you know, I've never heard you sound like this something needs to be done right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I've spoken to a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists about this and their various perspectives, but one of the 
most insightful I spoke with in my reporting for this story that I have on the Atlantic is uh, Jennifer Rapke. She's a clinical psychologist in upstate New York. She works in the same hospital as Stephen Thomas, who introduced me to her, our um, infectious disease specialist we spoke with a few weeks ago. Okay. So we're going to give Jennifer a call to talk about how to think about depression right now. Well, yeah. I mean, how is she making this diagnosis right now when it seems like everyone meets these criteria? I genuinely don't know. Okay. Let's give her a call. Hello? Hi. Hey, Jennifer. Good to speak with you again. Yeah, good to hear from you. Um, Are you in the clinic? I'm in the hospital. In the hospital. Okay. Thank you for taking time to speak with us. Oh, no problem. Can I have you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Um, this is Dr. Jennifer Rapke. I'm a clinical psychologist, um, and I am currently the chief of child psychiatry consultation services at Upstate Golisano Hospital in Syracuse, New York. So what do your days consist of right now? Right now, we're still trying as a hospital to keep as few bodies, I guess, on site as possible. So my days are sometimes at home doing virtual work and sometimes on site. Um, But our role in the hospital is to work with any kids under the age of 18 that are coming in with um, mental health chief complaints. So they're here for depression, anxiety, um, suicide, all kinds of things. And is your work essentially the same as it was in pre-corona world or are you kind of doing or experiencing something different now? So, um, yeah, that's a hard question. Uh, I told Jim, my answer is always, it depends And as a psychologist. Yeah. So um, the content is technically the same. You know, we're, our role um, in the hospital is still the same, but our method of doing that is very different right now. Um, the presentation of people is a little bit different right now. So normally we would never be doing virtual things. You know, I'm physically in the hospital um, five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so virtual is all new for us. Um, right. And we're also really um, only seeing people when they absolutely have to be here. So the cases we're seeing are a little bit more severe. The other group of people that's sort of different than what we normally see is because our community resources are, you know, in varying states of functioning. Normally we'd be able to get people to other places or other resources. And right now we're not able to do that. Some of them are closed down. Some of them are operating on different levels than they normally would also. And so the things that are normally in place to support them and help them are not there. I'm curious, can you describe a little bit more like the kinds of stories you're hearing or the kinds of issues you're dealing with? Um, Generally, we see sort of, I I always kind of lump them into, which is probably unfair, but lump them into sort of three groups of our Mm -hmm. primary complaints. So I would say the number one group of kids that we see are kids with suicidal thoughts or they've Mm -hmm. actually made some kind of attempt. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a big group of kids that we're seeing right now. Um, And those are some of the cases that we've definitely seen an increase in the last few weeks, especially with social isolation and, you know, teenagers not being around their peers is an incredibly giant gap for them. Um, And so they feel a lot more isolated. They feel a lot more limited. So that's sort of one big group of kids is depression suicidal thoughts, um, anxiety, things like that. The second group of kids that we generally see are here for aggression, where they have assaulted a family member, assaulted their parents, um, assaulted a teacher, assaulted peers, um, and it's very out of control. Some of them are here because they're having unusual experiences and where they're wondering if 
they're hearing things, seeing things. So there's sort of this third group that's a variety of things. Um, but the definite two reasons that we see people are for aggression or for depression, anxiety, suicide concerns. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So I guess when we talk about depression, often I think the medical system has the job of kind of distinguishing is this a context dependent situation where it's going to go away and a person clearly meets these maybe criteria in, in the DSM of, you know, or, or just, you know, clearly lack of energy, hopelessness, um, nothing to look forward to, not leaving home, not socializing. And at what point it becomes a pathology and, I understand it as a spectrum, but you as a clinician and others have to decide whether or not someone gets that diagnosis in their chart or doesn't. There's kind of a a black line that has to be drawn um, because of the way the system is arranged, at least. And I'm wondering if that line has changed for you at all in the current situation. Sure. And, you know, just to take one step back. Sure. I see it on a continuum. All of us have varying levels of depression at different points in our life. All of us have varying levels of mood swings at points in our life. When does it get to the point where as a profession, we draw this line, you know, and the DSM is the main way we do that, where you have to meet certain numbers of criteria. But I I never want a family to feel like that discounts their experience, you know, that I'm feeling not myself, I'm feeling down and feeling depressed. So I don't in any way want people to misunderstand that just because we don't say that it gets this code doesn't mean that that discounts their experience, right, you know? Right. Sorry, just to go back a little bit about that. Um, it, it has changed a little bit. I think, honestly, Jim, your idea when we talked last week was really helpful to me to think about it in that way. You know, at what point would we just talk to a friend? You know, it's very similar to medical triage, you know, and, and it should be because it's a, a form of a medical profession. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's sort of developing what those levels are you know, can I call a friend and feel better? And that sort of changes things, you know, or have I called all the friends, have I baked all the cookies and I still can't seem to get out of this funk? You know, that's Mm -hmm. sort of one of the first levels, you know, of have I just been sitting in my sweatpants watching too many reruns of Top Chef and eating too much junk food? And if I get my butt up and I go outside and I talk to my friend, do I start to feel a little better and realize, look, I've been sort of letting myself get to this way of feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of the the informal first level, you know, like the sweatpants, top chef, baking lots of cookies, you know, if getting up and going for a walk, doing things that would normally help me feel better, you know, talking to somebody that always helps me, you know, if that doesn't do anything, okay, now we're to the next point of like, well, how long have I been feeling this way? You know, has it been just today? Maybe this has been a cruddy weekend. This whole thing is just kind of sucky right now. Um, or has it been lasting several days, you know, where I really can't seem to get myself out of this state? You know, at that point, now it's like, okay, you really need to reach out to somebody, you know, whether you have a, a pastor, a, a faith-based person, whether you have a, a good friend that has a little bit of experience or knowledge. It's at that point, then maybe you need to reach out and do a little bit of screening, maybe even go online to some of the screeners online, you know, some of the reliable ones um, through your local hospital, through the doctor's office. And then I think at that point, if that screener comes up, if your friend who normally can snap you out of it is like, dude, what's going on with you? You know, this is more than your normal funk. You know, when you're starting Mm -hmm. to get that feedback, then it's time you definitely have to reach out to somebody, whether it's a hotline, your pediatrician, you know, if you've talked to a counselor in the past and kind of touch base with a professional on that first level. Um, 
obviously we always put in the caveat that if at any point during that you feel unsafe with yourself, like maybe I would act on some of these thoughts, maybe I would do something that could hurt myself or hurt somebody else. At that point, you absolutely should, you know, call a hotline, call 911, go to the emergency room if you need to. But mm-hmm. if that's not going on, then you're sort of going through this level of triage, right? Those three levels you were describing for kind of self-assessment of how severe things are, do those change given the fact that so many people are going through traumatic experiences right now, like job loss in the family, death in the family, um, up to housing and food insecurity? Like, does it change how you think about those levels or, or no? I think those levels maybe are the same all the time. I think the pace of those levels probably changes right now, you know, because normally you can leave the house, you can go somewhere, you can do fun things. And if you can't do that right now, that probably speeds up the timeline a little bit um, because the resources that you would have to try to snap yourself out of it are more limited. So I think it's affecting the timeline, how quickly they move through those levels versus does the criteria actually change? I'm not sure that it does but their ability to withstand those levels is much harder. Something Jim and I have been talking about a lot and I've been like joking about is like, we're all so depressed, you know, like it's a depressing time. Like everything's horrible. Of course we're depressed. But I mean, this, I feel like this is a good reminder that, you know, like, of course this is a depressing and sad situation and there are so many things happening that are worthy of mourning, but clinical depression, like a true problematic depression is not necessarily feeling sad because something bad has happened, but it's, an, right. you know, immobilizing. It, it's basically, it sounds like you diagnose less on the initial feeling and more on the ability to cope with the feeling. Sure. Is it, that fair to yeah, say? Yeah. I mean, there are specific content criteria for depression or anxiety or whatnot, but the big thing that really distinguishes that continuum of like, we all have some level of sadness and depression is, is it impairing our functioning? You know, are we able to still take care of our children, to take care of our pets, to, you know, do our whatever job or task we're needing to do? And how distressing is it to me personally? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it so interruptive in my life? Can't even think clear. I can't even figure out what right. my next step is. Um, you know, I think another helpful way um, and not to like be all nerdy and educational, but no, um, please do. this is a safe space for nerd. nerd so, <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think, is a, a thing I go back to all the time. Love it. Love talking about Maslow's hierarchy. So Maslow's this great pyramid, you know, and in science, we always have these pyramids. Describe it just in case anybody doesn't yeah. isn't familiar with Maslow's hierarchy. So one of the weekends that I worked on the crisis line, I spoke to this woman who was in a lot of distress and I taught her about it because I said, you know, you are trying to like care for all of these people around you and do all of these really concerned things, but you're also concerned that you guys don't have enough food and that you guys don't have clothes or diapers for the baby or formula. You know, let's take care of these things first because in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the base of the pyramid, you know, you can't function without a good base is food, water, shelter. So if I can't, feed myself, if I can't feed my family, if I can't have a roof over my head, if I can't have basic clothing to keep myself warm and survive, I can't do other things. You know, I can't move forward, it says. Um, And the second one is love, you know? And so if you have no support system, no way to feel love, to express love, you know, that's a big piece of this. So, you know, we want to make sure that people have those basic things that they can do, that they can attain for themselves, and that they can 
feel solid and secure. Because if you don't feel solid and secure with your base, you can't do these higher, what we call higher order things, these things up at the top of the pyramid, you know, like professional tasks or, you know, understanding yourself in a spiritual way or a meaningful way. Um, You know, so anytime I have someone that's in crisis, that's how I organize their concerns is let's focus on the basic core things and make sure that you feel secure in that. And then maybe you'll feel more capable to do these other things. Um, But yeah, I think the takeaway is definitely for that individual person, how much is it impairing my functioning? And we also think about like Jim and I talked about thinking about my peers, like on the days where I'm losing my crap and I'm going to try not to cuss on the call. Oh no, we do it every time. On the days where I'm losing losing my my crap, crap. (laughs) I think about my peers, you know, and Mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram are both good and evil. You know, I go on there and I think, are there other people that I know in fairly similar circumstances that are also losing their crap or am I the only one that seems to be losing my crap right now? You know? And so mm-hmm. those can be helpful tools because then I can sort of do this check-in with my right. social check group. yourself against everyone yeah, else. Like, like, are we all? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> you know, their kids have been in pajamas for three days. Okay, good. Everybody's kids have been in pajamas for three days. Yeah. So, right, right. so the takeaways are functioning, distress, and then like, Am I where about where everybody else is? And I think sort of that's where the COVID question comes in of, are we all right. clinically depressed or are we, you know, are we all just adjusting to a really stressful situation? Um, so right. it, it sounds like, you know, similar to how an internal medicine doctor doesn't want to see someone coming into the hospital already in multi-organ failure and delirious and desatting. And um, it would have been much easier to know that person at their baseline and see them a bit earlier um, in, in psychiatry. It's it's not never ideal to hear from someone for the first time when they, you know, can't go to the food pantry or can't get off their couch and can't do the things they know they normally would be able to just because of they're in this the depths of depression. At the same time, we have a lot of people feeling these symptoms. And um, it sounds like if we put the entire burden on the mental health system and had everyone who was in the early stages of these symptoms, you know, reach out, there would be an overwhelming wave. And so some of the solutions like you're suggesting, like like the food and housing insecurity, those these things that might be at the root of some of the hopelessness, um, and despair yeah. people are feeling are those are systemic issues that <laughs> we can't put all on mental health care later because people can't deal with sure. these circumstances. It's the circumstances that we can fix. Otherwise, we'll just see this flood as it builds up yeah. in people who meet these criteria, but we could have prevented it. Yeah. You know, the other sort of nerdy theory thing is about prevention. Ideally, we would be doing more primary prevention. The ratio would be more about doing the food and shelter and water and housing first, and then that wouldn't trickle down to other stuff. Secondary prevention is sort of targeting risk populations. And then essentially tertiary prevention is you're just trying to not make it worse. You're trying to prevent it from getting worse. Um, Unfortunately, most of the time we're doing tertiary or what I call like band-aid stuff where we're like, okay, this is already clearly bleeding, but we're going to do our best to piece it back together. I would love to see as a society, as a community, you know, more primary efforts, but that's really complex, especially right now when resources are super tapped, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, you're definitely highlighting all that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking to us and I hope, um, I hope your crap stays wherever it's supposed to be yeah thanks i'm trying to manage my crap the best i can (laughs) we're all managing some crap yeah yeah if there's anything i can do to be of help you know to you or your listeners or anybody i'm happy to do that so please don't hesitate to reach out so 
Well, thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Are you still depressed, Jim? Um, no, I was saying I don't think I am. I don't think I am either. I think we're just having rational reactions to a horrible thing. Right. Right. Um, we just want to make sure that everybody is doing everything possible to prevent that slide at a social level, at a societal level, and then when necessary, like reaching out earlier rather than later to establish a baseline of connection with the system, I think. Just to reiterate, what are the like what are the first steps on reaching out? Like where would people go? It completely depends on your healthcare coverage in this country. I mean, there are there are in yeah. most places like emergency hotlines. The point is we don't want to be dialing into some sort of absolute crisis hotline as the first time and then having to meet someone on a Zoom call who doesn't know you and doesn't know what's normal for you. Right. You know, establish that baseline care, if possible, if you have it, is, yeah. is all that I'm yeah. taking away from this. And yeah, obviously also community and friends and, and cookies and helping other people and walks and dogs. Mm -hmm. Everyone's getting dogs. I've been thinking about getting a dog. Should I get a dog? Are you going to get a dog? Yeah. Yeah. Really? We've got one coming. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Um. Yeah. Sarah wanted to get a dog. Mm -hmm. So we have one who was just born. And we'll be getting it in June. You're getting a puppy? It is a puppy. Ah! <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. Can I meet the puppy? Can you meet the Can puppy? Can I babysit yeah, the yeah, puppy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about you just have it dropped off at my apartment and I'll make sure it's okay. Oh. Before you take it. We would love to have a dog sitter sometimes once travel becomes a thing again. It's a little black lab. <laughs> Well, how, how can I get a dog? Uh, yeah, I, I know. Well, that's the dog. wonderful thing like, actually for adoption centers right now is there are shelters. Is <laughs> we were on all these wait lists and like you just can't get dogs. Right. Um. I mean, I think there are some that you can get, but if you have any interest in like certain personalities or sizes or types, like being picky is sure. not uh, on the table right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll have a dog. I'll have my cookies. We'll keep checking in. And making sure our baselines are right. <laughs> um, anyway, we hope that everybody's taking yeah, care yeah, of themselves seriously. and uh, monitoring their own. That it, 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 I guess the takeaway is like it is totally normal to feel some level of sadness and depression right now. And the thing to watch out for is if it becomes like kind of consistent and immobilizing. Yeah, just inability to. And if it causes you distress. Right, right. It's a cycle, right? The, the depression itself yeah. is depressing and distressful and then it's a spiral and we just need to stop that and yeah. take it seriously and not just tell people to bake cookies when they needed something more but also bake cookies <laughs> both things okay this show today was uh, produced by kevin townsend with help from anna waters and jacqueline landry if you have been enjoying this show um one way to support all the journalism at the atlantic is to subscribe to The Atlantic. You can get access to all of our journalism. The way to do that is theatlantic.com slash support us. You can also write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com if you have any thoughts or questions. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Jim. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? 
Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.